I will say it's it's a very pretty book. I I, I don't know that I'm gonna keep it. Wait, I kind of want to buy it though. So should we like do a little book trade? I can literally just bring it to you in March. No, I know that's so exciting. And you still have my mysterious Benedict book, so I do. We'll do like a little book trade. That's what I meant by the trade. Oh, I mean, I'm gonna give it to you. I paid for both, but that's cool. <laughs> Well, technically... <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Young Adult Adult Reviews, where two young-ish adults review books meant for much younger adults. Or children. I'm Chloe. And I'm Honor, and this week we are discussing The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And if you haven't read it yet, here's the spoiler warning. Thanks to Stanky Dog on Spotify for this request. Yeah! We do have <laughs> we do have content warnings for this episode for sexual assault, so be warned. And without further ado, let's get into the summary. Ooh. Addie LaRue is over three centuries old, and she is cursed due to a deal that she made with a dark god to escape an unwanted marriage in 17th century France. In exchange for her soul, she will get to live her life until she is sick of it without aging or dying. Luke, the god she made the deal with, tries to find ways to break her, to get her to yield her soul to him and say that she's had enough. In a game of cat and mouse, Addie repeatedly outwills him and finds ways to take advantage of her curse. The details of Addie's curse are as follows. People will forget her as soon as she leaves their sight. She cannot enact direct change on the world, and she cannot say her name, nor can she tell anyone her story. Nevertheless, Addie finds little ways to leave her mark on the world, mainly by inspiring artists, but she still finds herself falling painfully in love with people for months at a time, doomed to be forgotten as soon as they wake up next to her the next morning. Everything changes one day after she tries to steal a book from a bookstore. The boy behind the counter tells her that he remembers her from the previous day. This boy's name is Henry, and for some reason, Addie's curse does not affect him. The reason why becomes clear as Henry and Addie begin to pursue a relationship. Henry has made a deal with the same devil. He tells Addie that, at the end of a lifetime in exchange for his soul, he asks people to love him exactly as he was. Addie takes advantage of the gap in her curse to tell her whole story to Henry. He meticulously documents her words in several journals. As the 300th anniversary of Addie's deal comes to pass, Luke reveals to Addie that Henry did not make the deal for a lifetime, only for a year, and time is ticking away very quickly. Over the course of Addie's life, Luke has been the one constant, the one person to remember her. As she finds some strange solace in his company, he has also come to find solace in hers, going so far as to say that he loves her. Addie makes a second deal with Luke that gives herself over to him so that Henry can have his soul back. Luke accepts, leaving Henry distraught over his lost love. Henry, in the aftermath of his grief, compiles Addie's stories into a novel that goes on to publish and does very well. Addie is in London living out her immortal life with Luke, and she knows that their little game is not yet over. It has only begun anew. The end. Aww. 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 Okay. <laughs> it's, it's such a sad ending. But also, also, like, good for her. She said, I'm going to work this to my advantage. My Honor, what did you queen. think of this? <laughs> <laughs> Honor, what did you think of this book? It was good. Just good? <laughs> that was it. It was it was good. The idea was there. It it mm -hmm. was there. I love the idea. 
I love what happens in the story. I hate how it was written. It was interesting. It, it was very meh. I wanted so much more from it, and it, it did it did not give what <laughs> it was supposed to give. Okay, that's totally fair to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? I figured I would elaborate as we go in, but oh, I as we go on. Okay. right now, absolutely. Give give us the cliff notes. Cliff notes. Yeah. I felt prose was very well fitting for the story itself. It's a very flowery prose, which I stole that word from you earlier. Thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say poetic, but I was like, it's not really quite the word I'm looking for. Flowery, but. It very much read like every single sentence was trying to be the most amazing sentence ever written, which Mm -hmm. they were not. (laughs) Like she had a thesaurus like readily on hand as she was writing this. Yeah, kind of. But also just like the way the sentence was written was supposed to be like, wow, that's so thought provoking kind of a thing, you know? And it's like, she ate an apple. Okay. (laughs) Is the word you're looking for pretentious? Well, yes, that is a good word also. It's you very, didn't want to say it. I did not want to say it. I did you, not. you weren't brave enough to say it. <laughs> no, I was not. But it's very, it is, it's very pretentious. No, okay. I think I'm on the same page with you about this because I loved the initial concept. And I think the first half of the book, I was totally like solid. I was in there with the idea and everything that was going down and the world that was being built up around us. But then... I don't know, the second half of the book just had a downturn. And yes, the prose was pretentious, but I'm such a fucking sucker for flowery prose. But uh, like like I said, it fits so well with what the story is. Right. Like it was very, very fitting. My biggest thing, just like the, the fact that every sentence felt very pretentious was just a little bit annoying. But my biggest thing was... Most of the time through the entire story, and not even most of the time, the entire time the story, there is no showing of what's going on. Everything is being told to the reader. You're being told what's happening. You're being told how they feel. You're being told this and that or the other. There's no showing how the characters feel or how the reader should feel or any of that. So I, there's no connection into the book itself because of that. Like, it doesn't draw the reader in, at least to me. How did, how did you feel about that part? <laughs> Because that's what got me. That It would just read very meh to me. I don't know. I really didn't mind that too much because I thought it was nice. And I think that Addie's perspective as a main character is a very interesting one. But I did not like her perspective more than I liked Henry's. And maybe that's just because after a certain point, like when you're learning about the nature of Henry's curse and it's that everyone falls in love with him no matter what, like in one way or another, whether it's like an old person seeing their son in him or men and women like falling over themselves trying to get a piece of that ass. Um, (laughs) Can't help but fall in love with him without really knowing why. They're just inexplicably attracted to him in one way or another. And when he was talking about how much he like struggled through his entire life by being too much of this, not enough of that. And he was never just perfect the way that he was. That hit fucking home for me. And I thought that was more of a resonant message in probably most of the audience members, as opposed to the one that Addie was trying to say. Because Addie's whole thing is that desperately trying to find ways to be remembered. And yes, that is like a thing that I think a lot of people crave because 
that's just like an old idea. It goes back a long time to be, to want to leave a legacy behind. A measure of immortality, as funny as it is, because Addie is immortal. However, the fingerprint that she leaves on the world is not, until of course, Henry publishing her story at the end of the book. But her whole thing at first wasn't even that she wanted to leave a fingerprint on the world, you know? She didn't care about that until no one remembered her. And that was when she started to want to find ways to leave a legacy behind. Because at that point, it was a, a nice little fuck you to Luke, you know? But it's her, kind of her, her whole thing was that she wanted... She, fe she felt like she was running out of time with her life. Like, she wanted to do something with her life. She didn't want to fall into the age-old idea of, you know, grow up, marry, have kids, die. And exactly. never, never see anything, never do anything. Which I think is very relatable, personally. Because there's plenty of moments that I feel like that. I feel like life is very short. And it kind of feels like you're stuck on one path and... I don't know that she went about that the right way, but <laughs> it's okay. It's worked out no, for her in the long run. These desires are a little bit of a paradox, aren't they? Because mm -hmm. she starts out wanting to see as much of the world as she can in a way that she never would have otherwise gotten the chance to. And it turns into her whole existence being a thing to spite the man that she blames for all her shortcomings. But of course, like she's the one that prayed to a god after dark, like everyone told her not to do. Mm -hmm. And she's the one that ultimately said yes and made the deal. And she's still blaming Luke, like, up until her very last fucking moment on the page. She's like, I fault you for everything. And that's no, her really? whole thing with him, right? And it's like, girl, we gotta, it's been 300 years. You gotta take a little bit of self-responsibility, you know? Well, and my whole thing is, is you know, Luke mentions that, that she's not human anymore. She can't accept that idea. But it's kind of true, like. Yes, you're human in nature, but in reality, you've done so much past what is human that you can't necessarily be described as human, 100%. But she uses that, that like, humanity that she, she has for herself as a way to separate herself from Luke. But in reality, they're very similar, which he tells her, and she doesn't want to believe. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so interesting that she uses that difference between them as a way to decide that that's how he could not possibly have feelings like she does because he wasn't human and i think mm -hmm. i'm trying to segue into the idea of how luke says that he loves her and she won't ever love him did you think luke loved her i want to know your opinion i think he was a male manipulator for sure yeah <laughs> yeah because the whole thing with him being like, you're not human anymore, Addy. I think that was a little gaslighty of him. Not oh, gonna lie. I, like everything he said was kind of gaslighty. Oh no, he was a That's total nice. gaslighter for sure. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, because of course, towards the end of the book, she's trying to negotiate a second deal with Luke for Henry's soul. And he says, okay, pick one of these strangers and I will trade out Henry's soul for theirs. And Addy picks someone at random. And he says, oh, how you've changed. Implying, of course, that this is the thing that separates her from humanity. But I don't necessarily know if that's true. I think there are plenty of people that would trade the life of a stranger for someone that they love. That's literally the epitome of the trolley problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's in itself intrinsically human. So that Luke. Yeah, I think he was more saying that the fact that she picked someone was what has changed about her. 
Mm. Okay. No, I think that's fair. But uh, going back to your initial question, do you, I think Luke loved her. I think that he loved not being alone in the way that Addie so suddenly found herself alone in the world, not really having anyone else to turn to except for him. And then there's him who has never had anyone ever. And all of a sudden there's another constant in his life. And I think he, because there is that one point when in her past, when Addie accuses him of, oh, you find just as much fucking guilty pleasure in this as I do. And he's like, fuck you. No, I don't. (laughs) And it's like, okay, Luke, honey, like, I think we know. (laughs) I think we know you're insecure. (laughs) I, I would argue she's just as manipulative in many ways to him as he was to her, but especially like stuff like that but i was trying to circle around and make a final point of so my point kind of is i think she very clearly made the difference between him and herself as human because she would not she wanted something to cut off the idea that she loved him and i I don't know that she necessarily did love him but you don't spend what was it 60 years (laughs) with someone and not no, like 60 years in a fucking them. sex house in New Orleans. Right? Like, <laughs> there's, there's something there for you to stay that long. And maybe it's just the need to have someone there. But as soon as he was like, I love you, she was like, no, you don't. Like, because she's trying to make that divide in herself and in her mind so that she can continue to spite him. Because that's her entire thing, which goes back to the ending of the book where she sells herself to him and she basically agrees to go back to that same idea of what they were and she's so spiteful about it that she's like I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to essentially piss him off till he lets me go and it's like Mm -hmm. girl maybe maybe he does love you even if he was a you know manipulative bastard but maybe he does love you and maybe you're not gonna annoy him enough to let that work because you've definitely been annoying him for centuries and that's not been in your favor so far so no right because the thing that (laughs) fucking annoyed him the most was the fact that she found little loopholes in her curse to spite him Mm -hmm. and then he eventually grew to admire that in his amusement and that of course, is what happens at the end of the book. He sees her name on the cover and he's like, you are so clever. And it is a fucked up definition of love, kind of like keeping a bird in a cage, mm-hmm. kind of loving someone the way you, that you'd love a pet or an animal. It's fucked up. And of course, like we know that that's not how she views it. But but that's how he views it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And she's just like, I am spiteful. I think it is a type of love. I don't think it's a healthy love. But it's no. A-type. It is definitely A-type. And she's like, you can't possibly. And he's like, hey, you want to bet? <laughs> Literally. Uh, no, like, and building off of that whole spiteful existence thing, Addie LaRue is a manic pixie dream girl. She is a variation of that archetype. Because she really is. She's literally like this faceless, nameless woman that leaves you with the sense of having met someone in a dream and she inspires people. She's amused throughout the ages until she meets this man and she changes his life and she makes him not suicidal anymore. You know, she's literally like romancing the devil. She is the adult version of a manic pixie dream girl. She is 
Ramona Flowers grown up, you know? Also, also the refreshing change of pace where it's the girl that's hundreds of centuries older than the love interest. And someone had to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, I just, I had to. Age gaps, am I right? Age gaps. They're like age gaps of like 10, 20 years. No, can't do. Age gaps of centuries? Absolutely. Put it on in there. (laughs) Write that down. Write that down. (laughs) Uh, Building off of the whole refreshing change of pace in YA novels. We were talking about this when we were reading. And Addie LaRue is not a young adult novel. It's not even a new adult novel. It's a, it is an adult novel. Yeah, it is. The content is better. The content's pretty tame compared to some of the things that are marketed as young adult or new adult. Uh, The sex scenes are pretty tasteful, all things considered. However, even though it is not marketed as a young adult book, it finds its way onto a lot of top 10 young adult lists. So many. (laughs) No, literally. It was like in a few of the top 10 young adult lists for 2021. And I would like to talk about that because I have a few ideas as to why. Like, of course, when you're younger and you're an avid little reader, you have like a college reading level when you're in the fifth grade. So you tend to read up. And the book that this was for me uh, that I thought I was so fucking cool and adult and mature for reading was Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code, uh, because I told the story on TikTok before. Uh, Have you read The Da Vinci Code? I have not, but I, I know enough. So The Da Vinci Code is... First of all, I found it at Goodwill. I saw it so much at Goodwill, and I and I was like, if it's at Goodwill so much, it must be a good book, neglecting the fact that I was at a fucking Goodwill. <laughs> Where people donate items they don't want. <laughs> Literally. No, it had a very good marketing scheme, and that was it. But uh, <laughs> I, like, went and I read The Da Vinci Code, and there were, like, sex cults and mystery and intrigue, and the prose was so mature. And I thought, wow, I feel like such an adult for reading this. And it was pretentious literature. And I think that when you are a bookish child and you find this solace in novels and literature that you read, you're probably doing fairly well in school. You probably enjoy the books that you read in school uh, in terms of theming, maybe even prose. You tend to gravitate towards that type of literature because it makes you feel seen. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you are so beyond your years. So you go and seek out something that reflects that type of tone. And I think that's what the flowery prose does, especially in an artistic standpoint, because I do think that this book is like a good read for artists, especially around the middle when it's talking about Henry's oh, backstory. Yes, I agree. Exactly. And I was like, I feel seen as like a 20 something art major who doesn't know what the fuck she's doing with her life, you know? I thought I felt seen for that one, but I think as a high schooler, I was gonna say I was gonna say I felt seen as a musician seeing Beethoven. (laughs) We can go back to Beethoven. We'll go back to Beethoven. But I think when you are a high schooler and you're not a twenty-something artist who doesn't know what to do with their life, it's easy to romanticize that lifestyle and say that's the kind of person I want to be not a good thing to romanticize (laughs) no and it's a very pretentious thing to romanticize and nothing is more pretentious than high schoolers who love the literature that they read for class and i should know i was one of them 
That was me reading Twilight in the fifth grade and being like, I'm so cool. <laughs> I'm not like other girls. It's the idea of being not like other girls. And it's the... It really is. Because you're better than others because they're not reading the same level that you are. Like, you're higher and above them, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. please, like, get off your high horse and look around you. Everyone's doing the exact same thing. No, literally. And it's the literary equivalent of being a manic pixie dream girl. And I think that that's why Addie LaRue works so well as a main character that young adults resonate with because she is who they want to be. She's the girl who reads in coffee shops. She's the girl that people fall in love with when they see her on the street once, you know? That no one, that no one really notices or, like, sees until, like, they're right in front of them and they're like, wow, you're so amazing. Like, you're the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's just how I feel about this book in hindsight. But that said, I do think that it has the workings of a modern classic, just in terms of theming, in terms of prose. I can see in 50 years, high school seniors being assigned to read this. And they're like, oh, I have to read Addie LaRue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I see that, but I'm not disagreeing. I just like, I don't see it. I... Would like to argue, I would like to, to raise an argument to that. So would you like to present your points so I can produce counterpoints? See, here's the thing. I don't have real points. That's why it's not an argument. I oh. just don't see it happening. I think that in terms of theming alone, there's enough there for literary discussion. And there's a lot of flowery prose. AP lit teachers love to dissect that shit. They're like, what did the author really mean when she said that she was a girl encased in amber? Oh, uh, God. No, Which, first of all, she used I, that metaphor, like, five times. And so I was like, much, I'm tired of it. So much. She used, reused a lot of her material. I, I will say that. That was annoying. This book probably could have been about, you probably could have cut about a third out of this book. And it still would have been good. So true. Because it was all repetition. Like, <laughs> I was like, just, just take it out. You made your point. Move on. <laughs> That's the whole thing about, like, pretentiousness. Like, it works a lot better if you only do it once. Because then it's pretentious. You get multiples, and there's just a lot of it, so it's not as pretentious. Like, get with the program. Sorry. Anyway, it's prof- uh, it's pretentious if you repeat it, but it's <laughs> profound if you say it once. Yes. Yes. Because mm-hmm. what makes it pretentious is that the fact that you're repeating it, like your audience didn't fucking catch it the first time. And the idea of it also. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Because um, you can have something that's profound that's also pretentious. But I, I do think that this is something that people are going to look back on just because in terms of theming, it has what is love? What does it mean to be human? It, ha- it makes these very broad statements about the human condition that I think are very timeless. I do think that this is a timeless novel in terms of its theming. I yes, hate the fucking ending. There's not really anything new in it. Mm. Like, it's not... A new addition to our classics it doesn't make a new statement and i think maybe that's why i don't feel like it's gonna actually be a classic it's because there's we already have books that talk about all of that that are classics already Hmm. what makes this one stand out uniquely enough that it would be one you know i guess that's fair to say but then you could also raise the point that a lot of classics just rehash the same themes over and over again like for example Shakespeare did everything at least once Mm -hmm. well it seems less so but like like a unique take or not necessarily unique take but like a a 
a take that is well done there's a point to the story there's mm-hmm. not really a major point to this story i i get what you're saying about that especially i feel like now's a good time to talk about the ending go ahead <laughs> do you, what, what were your opinions on the ending my opinions i okay first of all i'm kind of proud of her because like pop off girly like she really said i'm gonna stick it to the man so good for her but also like that was so messed up there was so much wrong with this first of all i i do like the idea that henry magically is no longer depressed um, and he's just gonna live his life happily ever after but honestly i i don't feel like that's necessarily going to work in the long run with someone who's actually a depressed person like yes he didn't want to die in that moment and he was glad and grateful that he did not die right then and there Mm -hmm. but if he has another storm come through what's changed that much i mean i he has he has a new perspective on life yes that's true he has a new appreciation for the people around him yes that's true but his storms were so bad i'm not sure that like that would actually work also also like if he actually had wanted to like just go right then and there like giving up your life for him is not going to change the situation if he decided that he is actually done with life you know um, mm-hmm. i feel like there's a lot of people not with necessarily this situation but if you decided something for them would be so pissed off mm-hmm. and she literally just took the this decision in her hands and he was like, okay. Like, what? <laughs> well, he was, like, upset about it. And she was like, I'm not giving you a choice in the matter. And then she literally faded away into the night, which is so and he funny. Was like, well, I guess that's that, you know? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I do think that because Addie kind of gave him a mission before she left his life forever, that gave him a reason to keep going. Because she said, promise you'll remember. And that's he said, true. I will tell your story. And... In the Which end, I think was beautiful. I do think it was beautiful that she gave him a purpose because he was very directionless, not really sure where he wanted to go or what he wanted to do. And I did, I caught this. I don't know if you caught this, but when Henry's getting introduced, he works in a bookstore and it says, uh, it said that people who work in a bookstore for so long must surely want yeah. to be writers. Right. But it had never that. appealed to Henry. And again, it's Addie being this <laughs> manic pixie Henry. muse. <laughs> Henry's like, I'm not a writer. And Addie's like, you want to bet? <laughs> Addie was like, I am. Write this down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the also the first scene where, like, they realized that she can basically use him as her pencil. That was gorgeous. I loved that scene. Mm-hmm. That was just, like, they're in the, like, art museum thing. And they are the art... And so he puts paint on his hand and she uses his hand to paint. And it's just like pouring out of her. And I was like, that is beautiful. Like, that's art. That's how like artists feel. Like it just pours out of you like that. You can't stop it until you're done. Mm -hmm. Well done. Anyway, that was like one of the main scenes that I liked about this book. That that was one of the many I can count on my fingers. (laughs) Damn. Uh, (laughs) I do... No, but I think that's one of the reasons why this is definitely a book that should be read by all artists if they yes. if they can stomach it. Uh, because I... Well, 
I don't think it's a bad book. Like, there's nothing in it that I hated. It's just I do like, know that there are people that hate this book, though. Really? Yeah, people, like, viscerally hate this book. It might just be a, by the nature of V.E. Schwab's prose, because I think all of her books are like this. But I, I think when it fits, it's good. There's no, when it fits, it's good. Like, tonally, the prose overdone. is perfect for this book. But I, I think that this is a very important book to be read by artists because every chapter starts off with, or not every chapter, every part. There's like eight parts. Uh, and each one starts off with a piece of artwork, whether that be like a sculpture, sheet music, a sketch, etc. And it's all fictional within the world. And all of it relates somehow to Addie. Uh, but I think that the way in which it interprets art and the breadth of it and how one can participate in art, even if it is a little unconventional, it hits home for a lot of people that hold those values very close to their heart. Mm -hmm. I agree. I have a question for you. What's your question? <laughs> have you ever seen Age of Adeline? I have not. <laughs> do, you, do you know what Age of Adeline is about? Elucidate me, Honor. I'm gonna... I'm going to pull up the uh, Wikipedia explanation for this movie. It goes, Adeline Bowman, which is spelled slightly different. It does have an A-D-A-L-I-N-E instead of A-D-E. Anyway. Oh, well, it's um, totally different then. Why are you totally, even bringing this up? Totally different. Adeline Bowman has miraculously remained a youthful 29 years of age for nearly eight decades, never allowing herself to get close to anyone lest they discover her secret. Uh, and then it continues on, but the rest doesn't really matter because it is slightly different. But <laughs> you have a girl named Adeline, right, who never ages. I'm sorry, Schwab, could you not at least pick a different name? Literally. That's bad. <laughs> That's bad. That's rough. Um, so the entire time I was reading through this book, as soon as I saw Adeline, because Addie didn't bug me too much, but as soon as I saw Adeline, I was like, hold up. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's... Anyway, um, so that movie came out in 2015. This book came out in 2020. Yeah, October okay, of 2020, so there was I believe. plenty of time for her to, like... And when does most of the book take place? 2014 2014 which was an interesting decision to like set it six years before the date that it's published I don't know that's interesting to me isn't that interesting to you I thought that was interesting I understood having it before like COVID and everything but that was very early Luke calls also 2014 but there was like nothing 2014 in it yeah, was what like, was... Where's, where's the One Direction fangirls? <laughs> Why is she not seeking out Harry Styles? Okay, no, 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 because I have a point about that, right? <laughs> okay, make your point. She likes, she likes tall white men, right? With curly hair and green Dark eyes. curly hair. Dark curly hair. I will say Harry Styles has, like, brown hair, and I think she goes for, like, black curly-haired guys in here. Harry Styles was close but enough. Still... She could have gone <laughs> for him. Guy, Harry Styles. I was like, yeah, that's fitting. That's fitting. Harry Girl Styles same. playing Harry. Wait, Harry Styles <laughs> Harry playing Styles Henry playing in the Henry. movie adaptation. Please, do you know how many people would flock to this? Not only because it's Age of Adeline, but because Harry Styles is in it. No, literally. It's not Age of Adeline. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Addie Lewis. Hold on. 
Is there a movie in the... There is a movie in the works. Please. Harry uh, Styles. I'm just telling you. You can just dye his hair a little bit darker. He's basically Manny Pixie. Dream boy. <laughs> no, he's point. perfect. Uh-huh. <gasps> I, it's being directed by the same person who did The Green Knight? Stop. Okay. No, anyway, it's going to be so good. I take everything anyway, back. We have I've... learned. We have learned there will be a movie in the works and it should be very good. <laughs> the Green Knight was phenomenal. Book to movie adaptation is about to go so hard. I'm so excited. Honestly, I think the movie I, I think the movie is maybe gonna be better than the book for me. No, I absolutely agree. And I was telling I, you this I feel not too like long this ago. Is so well done for a a movie or TV idea rather than a book idea. No, I think it's going to be a wonderful film, especially now that I saw who's directing it. Like, full fucking faith in that. I loved The Green Knight. The wonderful adaptation. But I was saying to you, I want to see this as a musical or a play. Dude, I want a musical so bad. So Can you bad. imagine, like, a really, like, abstract, like, Brechtian piece about Addie LaRue? I just want a heart-wrenching song about her emotions every time she's forgotten. Like, and just wanting to have, like, a memory placed in the world. Ah, that would be gorgeous. No, that would be, like, the opening I want number. Right, it would be right. so good. Oh, like, good. the I want ballads in this, the villain songs. Are you kidding me? Who the has musical songs. talent? Ugh. Who? Who has musical talent? Because I need to, like, team up with you to, like, supervise the production of this musical because I'm a nosy bitch who wants to see it happen. <laughs> I, love, I love you're sitting here talking like that. Like, I don't have musical talent. I will say, though, I didn't like the end of this book. I just am not a fan of the whole, and the book he wrote was the one you're reading right now. Because <laughs> okay. they did that in The Outsiders, too. And back in, like, the fifth grade, I was like, that's bullshit. Okay, but it's different because, like, his perspectives aren't in that one. And that one doesn't have someone's name as who wrote it. Do you think I give two flying fucks? It was bullshit then, <laughs> and it's bullshit now. I I think when it's well done, that it's really good. I don't think it but, was done the best in this book. I don't know. No. I think it was cute, though. I liked the idea of it. But also, okay, the point that got me, right, is she... Henry gave a dedication in the book, which was I Remember You. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, my God, is that what the dedication for the book is? So I, with my excited little heart, flipped over to the dedication in this book. And you know what it says? To Patricia for never once forgetting. Like, Patricia's what? a real one. <laughs> yeah, go Patricia. I'm, I'm not mad at that. But also, like, why would you put a book dedication in and then this be the not not the same dedication because it's like anyway. a slightly different book it is cute i know but like if you're gonna do it go fully for it no right i think that where this book started to lose me because i was like fully on it when she was talking about like because i would say that there are like three timelines in this and there's henry's timeline there's Addie's present tense timeline and then there's Addie's past mm -hmm. and i was fully for it with like the most of part one when she was like talking about her life in New York in the past timeline. We're talking about how she came to be there. Henry gets introduced and we're talking about his life and how that's going for him. And 
I loved it when he was like, oh, I also made a deal with the same devil. I was like, oh, shit, that makes sense. It made sense. Mm -hmm. I was along for the ride when Henry was talking about his issues. It lost me when they started to fall in love, as bad as that sounds. Because they went on, like, that date to the museum, and I'm all for, like, art house. (laughs) I liked that. (laughs) They talked about... I don't know the exhibit I get that the exhibits were like important or whatever and the whole like the art is you thing at the end I was like oh yeah yeah, that's kind of on brand but I just thought they talked about it for too long and they were shifting back and forth between that chapter and chapters that were much more interesting and it's like if you wanted to tell the story in the other chapter just tell the story in the other chapter I don't need it felt like filler between the actual story that needed to be told you know I I I liked the jumps in the timeline, but I agree there were a lot of times where it jumped at really weird points. Like, they had you in the middle of an idea or a scene, and then it would jump, just like you were talking about in the art house. And it's like, pick, like, make up your mind. Pick one thing. No, like, there was one really short chapter in that sequence of events, because I think they did that back and forth for, like, six chapters. There was just, like, one chapter that was super short, and nothing happened in it and then they just got back into the other story that they were telling from Addie's past and I was like why did you even fucking bother (laughs) I don't know that annoyed me that irritated me and I thought it was unnecessary and then it just (sighs) then all the stuff with Luke happened and I thought the New Orleans stuff happened too fast for how much the book was building up to it because we hear about New Orleans like in the third chapter like pretty damn close to the beginning of the novel also there was so much of like early things happening and and then it really rushed the ending part mm-hmm. just in general like as, basically as soon as you found out that Henry made a deal too it was like fast forward we're skipping like literally weeks and weeks of time even though we spent like two parts just on one day mm-hmm. it was like wait what <laughs> I definitely agree with that because just like going back to the New Orleans thing, you spend the whole novel like building up to like the leather jacket and like the ring and what brought and she's like keeps talking about the leather jacket. No, we do. Uh, Luke (laughs) bought it for her in New Orleans, but it was another thing. I I missed that. That Addie was like, we were building up to that the whole book. And then we get to like that one chapter and it's like, and this is what happened. And then like, you're already moving on. It's like, but I wanted to like, I thought it would have more significance than that. I thought it would have more weight. Mm-hmm. It's just so tough to do that if you're not visually seeing it. And I think that's why another reason why the movie is going to work so well. Anyway. I'm, I'm excited to see. So usually with like present and past, they do color tones that are different. I'm excited to see how they're going to do that. No, I'm so excited about that. I think that stylistically, this movie is going to be phenomenal. I hope so. I want to love the movie like I had the potential to love the book. <laughs> no, I will say I didn't hate the book at first. Well, I didn't I even hate it at the end. Literally, like it's like hard. I don't hate it. It's just okay. Yeah, the ending was okay. The beginning was really good and really intriguing and I was kind of hooked. And then the end, it was like, oh, that's it. And I yeah. know that endings are hard. I know that they're hard, but. What did we learn at the end, though? Don't make a deal with the devil when you're depressed. So true, bestie. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the whole lesson of the book. No, for real. 
It's like, also, what else mo- did she learn? Moving on to that, Beethoven making <laughs> making a deal with the devil. <laughs> the devil comes to collect, and they're talking to Beethoven like Beethoven can actually hear. <laughs> like, <laughs> that cracked me up. I was like, what? <laughs> like that man wasn't deaf from how much his father boxed his ears. Right? Also, like, I do love the idea that Beethoven signed his soul for, like, musical prowess. But, like, come on. (laughs) No, so true. Also, it's so brutal. Like, what did Beethoven do to you, man? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you see later in New Orleans, he's, like, all nice to this sweet old lady. And he's like, Beethoven, fuck you up. She went quietly. And then Wagner, you learn... He also took Wagner's soul because he turns to Addie and he's like, can you tell which one is mine? And it really makes you wonder (laughs) how much art is not the work of the devil and how much of it is just gaslighting, uh, how much of it is just him gaslighting artists into thinking that there will always be someone better than them. Oh, that's good. No, right. No, but then like you meet Todd, who of course is the man that Addie's with at the start of the novel who's this up-and-coming musician, and he writes a song about her that he, like, woke up with in a dream. But, of course, like, she's the one that taught it to him. I have a segue for this. Do it. Segue. Okay, so first of all, you listened to the audiobook, so you didn't get to see these. But at the start of every part, they have, like, artwork. They did do an audio description in the audiobook. Yeah. So with the dream girl, which fits the manic pixie dream girl that's what it's called this dream girl is the song that toby mm-hmm. wrote there's a small really tiny piece of composition for the sheet music for the first page i so badly want to pull out like a magnifying glass and just play this and see what it actually sounds like <laughs> like is it that good we could probably do do we want to do that let's do it okay <laughs> no because that's so funny right I want you to play it on your oboe. That's a good bit. Do you want me to br- bust out my oboe? Bust out your oboe and sight read it. Obro. <laughs> Here is my oboe instrumental interpretation of Dream Girl by Toby Marsh. <laughs> Dream girl, everyone. Dream girl. Um, you're gonna have to look up the lyrics in the book. Because we don't want to find it. Yeah. <laughs> but they they start from the first note and they, they carry through. One syllable a beat. I mean not a beat. Yeah. One syllable every rhythm. A, a note? <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Anyway. Encore! (laughs) That was so good. Oh my god. Anyway, moving on from playing that. (laughs) I do think it was really cool to have each part have something that is, or is a piece that is a fingerprint that they have left behind, essentially. 
Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was like drawings of Addie or a song about her or the artwork that Henry's sister did about his heart. All of that. I think it's just so well done. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the book. Which, first of all, Muriel, who did he ask you to do that? What a fucking call out. He did not. Kind of a, she was kind of a bitch for that one. I'm not going to lie. To make a piece of art about your sensitive brother unsolicited. Right? That was so rude of her. I would have been no, mad. There was so much that she did. Also, I did you basically find the whole spell that he was like, you know, you're you're now like forced to love him. And you're like, oh, I love him so much. I must do art about him. And he's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, literally. It's like, um... <laughs> no, and then right. Robbie was a dick. Oh my god. Robbie was such a dick. And like, get okay, I get it, dude. Like, you're an ex that's like magically charmed into still being in love with him, but also like, chill the fuck out, because you have so many red flags right now. <laughs> no! Like, of course he's playing the Goblin King because he's a fucking goblin. Goblin right. up all his attention. Let's talk about LGBTQ+. Oh, yeah, like, everyone's bi in this book. I forgot about that. Right? Like, every single one. Which I was like, okay, that's really great representation. Because we don't have a lot of characters that are, like, bi in books like this. Especially right. when you have a, uh, a couple that is... Especially when you have a straight-presenting couple like this. So I thought that was nice. But also, not to <clears throat> cut from the fact that there was LGBTQ+, representation... But where was the color diversity representation? Where's the different races? Like, we have one beautifully black girl. Okay. Where's the rest? Where, where, where's you're the flavor? You're in New York. You're in Paris. You're in New Orleans. <laughs> where? And everyone's white. Everyone. No. Because, like, I do understand, like, a lot of the first, or not the first half. Well, like, the first half of Addie's deal, if you will, taking place in europe in like the 16th century so yeah i can see that being pretty like tasty i can understand why a white girl would not branch out to predominantly non-white people locations you know but after a certain point if you're going to places like new orleans and new york and you're living in them there's representation there just naturally no right so like where is it oh i would like to amend my previous statement a little bit i think that henry would probably identify more as pan because there is that line where he's attracted to the people first and their gender second so that i i believe that falls under more of the pansexual umbrella to be to be accurate and correct Mm -hmm. but i also like that addy is bi too because there's that whole romance with sam that she has for a little bit she was like i will take what i can get and that is everybody (laughs) no so true no but like there's also something so special about when people make art about her because they immediately get famous after no that's the whole thing like addy's type is someone that will see her as a muse that's addy's type kind of vain of her but also same No, she's like, she's like, if you can't leave a mark of me in the world, bye. (laughs) I don't want it. I don't want it. If you're not going to be famous, why am I talking to you? (laughs) Right? No, because she talks so much about, like, all the artists that she's, like, loved in the past. No, and she's like, I'm most attracted 
to potential. And it's like, okay, girl, right. you're attracted, you're attracted to people that worship the ground you fucking walk on, but go off, I guess. Literally. I love when a manic pixie dream girl is a manic pixie dream girl and she also fucking knows it. Because that <laughs> is what sets Addie LaRue apart, because she knows that she's cool. And a lot of manic pixie dream girls are like, what, little old me? No, I'm like every other girl. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not like other girls, and you better be kissing my shoe for it. Which is hilarious because she can't explain why she's not like other girls, which just makes her like it's just a more... feeling. <laughs> it makes her more manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> Honor, what would you rate this book? I thought you were going first. Oh, I'm going first? Yeah. Chloe, what would you rate this book? I'm <laughs> so glad you asked. <laughs> LOL. Chloe. Chloe, how would you rate this book? I'm so glad you asked. Based uh, on our new rating system. Our new um, and improved rating rubric. Because <laughs> we're teachers now? Right. I guess by definition, if I liked it halfway through, if I liked the plot halfway through and I didn't like the end, if it started to fizzle out towards the end, but I liked it a lot at the beginning, I think that would be a solid 3.5. 3.5 for plot. Character. I did like Addie's characterization when all was said and done. She wasn't like the best character. I loved Henry. Luke, I don't know. I feel like there was a level of depth that was kind of missing to him. He was just like this sad and evil asshole. But I feel like he could have been... I mean, wouldn't you be? <laughs> no, I guess I would be. But that doesn't mean I liked him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give character a solid four. For pros... If this were about anything else, it wouldn't be getting this. But I'm going to give the pros a 4.5 because I think it suited the world very well. It was appropriate for both its audience and the story that it was telling. I'm going to give world building a 4 because I think the rules of Addie's Curse were clear and consistent. And I thought they were pretty well thought out and it added some interesting limitations to her character. So that's why I'm going to give world building a 4. And for vibes... Vibes, I'm giving it a 3.5, just based off purely vibes. So doing the math on that, I have given Addie LaRue a 3.9 star rating, which is almost four. So that's not terrible. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, Honor, what would you rate this book? I'll do the math. Okay. Plot-wise, I felt like it was fairly well thought out. There were a little, little bit that I thought could have been arranged better and there was just a lot in there that felt a little bit useless so i'm going to give it a four okay i liked the characters i thought they were well done even even our villain here all of them i think were well done to give the idea that was needed like you hated luke you disliked robbie you know like that kind of a, that kind of a vibe so they did what they needed to do they did what they needed to do so 4.5 for that pros not a huge fan okay i love the flowery prose was very fitting for this book i loved that but but it was pretentious and there was so much that was just told instead of shown so i'm gonna give it a 3.5 okay um world building i thought was well done i didn't really have much that i picked at other than the camera thing was a little bit like 
why is it showing part of her face instead of just not coming out? And then I was like, oh, this makes sense for, like, video. And then also it made sense because, like, how could they make art about her, like, idea if they couldn't, like... So that, that did... I did get there eventually. Um, so I'm gonna give a... a I would give a five for it. I'm gonna give a five for world building. Five for world building? Okay. And vibes? And vibes was a three. I... It was meh. It was, like, right in the middle. I liked it. Uh, there were a lot of parts that were, like, shiny bright stars. Like Addie Freckles. That were just really well done throughout the book. And then there was a lot of it that I was like, meh. So, what is okay. my final rating? Your final rating is four stars. It seems like we were pretty consistent. I would um, not have given it that. <laughs> would you like to override? <laughs> I would like to override... To a three point five. <laughs> okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. That felt way too high. You know, it was the world building. It was I the should... world building. It was the world building that put it too high. Yeah, you gave it a five, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, it was. I mean, I didn't have any problems with it. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut down world building. <laughs> <laughs> that that's where we lose the points. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> That's where we lose the points to get us a 3.5 end result. Four is too high. I This is not a four-star book for me. That's all I'm saying. Shall we wrap it up? Yes, we shall. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We upload episodes bi-weekly. That is once every other week, not twice a week, because that is too much reading. Too much reading for Chloe. For me. <laughs> we also have other social media pages, including Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and not that we use it, but Goodreads. <laughs> 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 so go check us out at Young Adult Adult Reviews. Give us a follow. Give us a like. We'd be happy uh, to see you there. You can also drop suggestions on any of our social medias or also on our Spotify just through the Q&A like, function. Just like this book was dropped... Thank you. Bye, Stanky Dog. Our biggest supporter and fan. Yep, really is. No, like literally, they're the most interactive audience member that we have. Okay, I I am glad that Stanky Dog requested this because we did read it, and I'm glad I read this book. I'm also glad I read this book. All said, I don't, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm keeping it, but I was glad I read it. I'll take it. Yeah, it's not a reread for me. But it no, will be a movie me. watch. Oh, I'm going to watch the hell out of this fucking movie. Let me tell right? you. I'm going to be so excited when this movie comes out. Okay. Are we ready for the end? And... Right. Thank you so much again for watching. And that... That is a wrap. A wrap. That was a good one. That was a good one.